0: And the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show.
1: You had to hit really, really hard to show the ref that you actually hit. So it's considered too violent for women. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. (gasps) You can do it. You can
2: do it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But that is an Olympic champion. Ready?
3: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co host, Allison Brown. Allison, bonjour. Comment ça va? I guess we get to break out the French again. Mais oui. Bonjour, bonjour. And today we have a special guest, contributor Ben Jackson, is here with me. We are in Montreal. Bonjour, Ben. Bonjour. Welcome to welcome to the Comment show. Ça va? Ah, bien, bien. So we we have Ben at the house. <laughs> so yeah, it's really exciting. I had to do a roller derby tournament in Montreal. And we decided to come up early and do some interviews, meet some people, tour the village, see what's around here. And we ended up getting an Airbnb in the Olympic Village. So uh, it's been really kind of wild to see how things were back in the... So this is,
2: this is the third in our series of visiting Olympic cities. Yes. So we yes. did Lake Placid, you guys did
3: Rome, and now, right. and now we are in we are Montreal. Montreal. So... I gotta tell you, the, the Olympic Village is like its own little city. And, you know, it was back then, but it, like, that still plays out. There, you don't have to leave if you don't want to. Now, are there rings everywhere? No. Were there? No. Um, there probably were, but they, it, those the, are gone. Those are gone. It is called Le Village and, like, the, Le Village Olympique. They okay. can still call it the Olympic Village but there are no rings okay. because, and it's managed by a, a management company, a real estate management company now, okay. but you could rent and an apartment here. You, and it looks from the pictures. There's, there's definitely a good seventies vibe. Going. Oh my gosh. It's all concrete. So oh. <laughs> the guy we rented from says like, you can't hear anything through these walls, which is very true. You can't hear anything through the walls, but you know, what's hollow pipes. So you hear all the water. <laughs> You hear everyone flushing. Yes,
4: yeah. Well, you just least... hear things gurgle through the pipes. Right. So <laughs> you don't you don't actually hear like wh- what the source the source exactly. You don't hear this. You don't hear like oh this person's in the shower that person's turned the sink on or whatever. It's just water kind of gurgles through every so often.
2: Okay, Ben,
3: you just ruined all the fun. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but but what's cr- one of the crazy things about this place is that when you go in on the ground floor, A you can walk forever and just you run into there's restaurants, there's a women's clothing store, there's a salon, there's a place that does uh like chores for you that you don't want to do. There's a there's a drug store a drug and a store, store. And a full grocery store with like produce and a butcher counter.
4: There's a gym and a golf shop.
3: Yeah, a little golf club. Wow that, that it mainly like works on like your drive or your strokes you hit them into a big net so it's small but still Um, yeah there's a library where you can borrow books, right? We managed to get in during library hours yesterday, and there's these little old ladies who were at the desk, and they were really excited that somebody came in and speaking to us in French, <laughs> and we didn't know, and we're like, we don't live here. And, then,
4: and there's, um, uh, like, I, do you think that was, like, a driver's license office or some kind of there, government like, office? Yeah, here?
3: so there's also offices, and some of them are, like, provincial Quebec offices, like a tax office. I think there's, like, huh. Quebec revenue and uh, some other places like that um but it just keeps going
2: section of the city
3: yes you know it's its own little neighborhood that yes that you don't have to leave. they have activities so there's yoga and tai chi and there's a billiards room and on mondays women are welcome at billiards karaoke night what else did they have they have church services so it's incredible what what all you can do here so besides that, which is you know that's that's a really cool aspect of it. To get into your apartment, you go up the elevator. So these these are two pyramids, and there's four towers in the pyramids. So there's okay. the the pyramid going one way, and then the pyramid going the other way, gotcha. and then repeated with another building. In the middle of that pyramid, down the core is the elevator bank. Okay, you, that makes sense. You. Go into the lobby. You go up the elevator, then you have to go outside to get to your apartment.
4: Yeah, everything so is like, open to the outdoors, so it's so kind of. It's like of,
3: motel style. Yeah, yes.
4: Yeah. There are balconies. Huh. It's basically balconies on either side, except one balcony is the walkway. Oh. Which seems very strange in a place like Montreal, where it gets so cold. But
2: right. But what is? I was going to say, does that? Would if it. Would it have made sense in the summer? Oh, yeah.
3: It's beautiful right now.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it was built for the Olympic Village. So were they trying to take advantage of that? No. And didn't really think past
4: July. If you go around Montreal, you will see regular apartment buildings where there are outdoor staircases leading to the apartment on the second floor.
3: And quite often Montreal thing. Yeah, and quite often those staircases are like spiral or have some kind of weird curve in them. And you instantly look at them and go, why? Because it's so cold here all the time. And Uh what happens when there's snow and ice on them? But that just seems to be a a Montreal thing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we're Hmm. we're not that far from the Olympic Park and stadiums. There's several stadiums that are part of there's stuff that's part of the park and some structures that belong to the city. It's really interesting because the park and a lot of the facility, uh, several facilities that they used during the Olympics are on this big, long block. And there are two metro stations on it. That's how kind of long it is. Wow. And there's the stadium with the tower. and, And then like this esplanade area, and that belongs to the Olympic Park corporation or and yes. then there's the velodrome which became the biodome which the olympic park gave back to the city a long time ago and that's when they turned it into this biodome museum so it's like a animals type of thing inside
4: so they're,
2: are they growing like olympic athletes in there um, They're
4: learning to fuse human beings with animals for particular sports. So with oh, a it's cheetah like the for running, dome of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> exactly, and a kangaroo for jumping, and a awesome. dolphin for swimming. Yeah, some very odd people walking around there. You know, <laughs> these guys in speedos eating raw fish. It's weird. Yeah, so, there you go.
3: Yeah, and uh, now, I was in
2: Montreal many, many, many years mm-hmm. ago. And the only thing that I remember was the circle of flags.
3: Yes, that is still is that around. Still and okay, we didn't really see it because it's at one end. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's still there. They now have a the the Place Nadia Comaneci, which oh, has Olympic green. Me? Yes, it's 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 a oh, like oh. a a tribute area to the Olympics in general. That game. So they've got rings and and i've put some pictures up it's now the the cover photo of our facebook page is the rings that are part of this place or little monument and then they've got the plaques with all the winners and that was original from right after the games Mm -hmm. and then they put in um the names of everybody who competed and then there's some like tributes on the the bottom part of it that talk about how Nadia scored a perfect 10 and then right. and there's a stairway that goes down and then there's pictures of a lot of other people. And that's where I have a picture of me with T. Bach circa.
4: Yes. I, I saw that. I <laughs> love that. So what's interesting is they, the, the Cedric, the guy who took us around said they had an athlete from, I think it was Belgium come and was looking for information or, looking, or somebody came from Belgium looking for information about the athlete who competed. And, and so what they did was they said, we, we're gonna respond to all of the things that people ask us about and we're gonna update the park accordingly. And so they took the original winner's plaques and they embedded them into these bigger pieces that now list all of the athletes by country. So if you oh. were from a country, you could find your country and see all of the athletes who competed. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Vietnam Memorial, where you have all the names in the wall. But
2: but a little happier.
4: Much happier. Much happier. Yeah. Um, but
2: that that's nice that you're. They're not just, you know. So many times we talk about that it's not just about the people who medal. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's about the competitors and Thomas Bach was so big about getting that designation after people's names.
3: Right, right. For
2: anyone O-L-Y. who's ever com- Yeah, anyone who's ever competed at the Olympics. So that's that's nice that Montreal has has embraced that aspect of it. Yes. To to include all the competitors.
3: Yes. So one of the other the cool bits of our our tour um and we'll talk more about this on another episode. We'll talk more about all the the things we saw. Um, But we got to go into the, uh, what do they call it? The Institute for Sport for Quebec. It's a provincial sports training facility for high performing athletes. So this is where they fueled a lot of money to give the athletes here the best possible services they could. So it's Super... So this
2: is like their Olympic training
3: center, yes, one yes, of their training centers. Yes, like, with, like the U.S. has a Colorado Springs yes. or Lake Placid. Or... Okay. Exactly, exactly. So they train several sports there, and they have huge gyms. And Ben talked his way into letting them show us the fencing facility, which was really cool. They had.
4: Yes. Yeah, I, so a lot of this is, is the pools and and I think some of the areas are open to the public but then they have the the institute of sport and you walk in and of course the first thing you see is this like nutrition lab where they consult with the athletes and then on all the different floors they've got different rooms devoted to the different sports and so the the judo room and the gymnastics room with all the apparatus and that kind of thing and then having been a fencer they said i said well can we see the fencing room you know and they brought us in and and it's really elaborate they've got a lot of nice equipment and the strips are all set up and it's when we were in there in fact they there were two guys who were wheelchair fencers practicing saber
3: oh nice yeah it was really cool
2: well i don't think they're too worried about people breaking into the fencing room You know, because I think the athletes would take care of that if anyone who was not supposed to be in there gets in there.
3: Just an idea. Especially those Sabre athletes. Right? Slashing, slashing. (laughs) Well, speaking of Sabre, that is what we're talking about today. And one of the other people I talked with uh, while I've been here in Montreal is Olya Avchynikova. And she was born in Russia and moved to Canada when she was 13 years old. And while she was in Russia, she started fencing Sabre and she continued doing so when she moved over to Canada. She moved her way up the ranks and onto the Canadian Olympic team for Beijing 2008. And there she competed in the women's singles event and the team competition for Sabre. And in the team competition, she earned an Olympic diploma for their seventh place finish and now she works with the Canadian Olympic Committee as a manager in the athlete marketing program. So I talked with Olia about a lot of different topics, but just for today, we're gonna to talk about saber fencing and how it works. Now, fencing has three different weapons, saber, foil, and epee, and they're all slightly different and can be difficult to understand when you try to watch them on TV. So we're gonna break them down in different episodes. So here is my interview with Olia about saber. Saber. Let's start with the weapon is just... Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to begins. The weapon's got the big bell on it. Uh, the the cover, handle. Entire, the yes. guard,
1: yes. Um, yes, so in Saber we have a big guard covering, and it also has a little bit of a handle down to the bottom. Uh, not a handle, but a cover. And the reason is that in foil and epi, it's a point touch. So you touch with the point of your weapon... Kind of a poke. Mm-hmm. So this is traditionally when people think of fencing, they think of little people bouncing around and trying to poke each other. That's epi or foil. In saber we slash. So the slashing movement um, applies to uh, waist and above in terms of target, which means that even your arm is a target. So it kind of has this little guard to protect uh, the hand, the knuckles and everything because of the slashing. Um, so that's the only reason it's built that way, the guard, and the handle doesn't have any uh, grooves on it, it's just a very plain handle um, to manipulate it a bit easier when you compare it to, let's say, an epi or Right, because
3: they have different kinds of grips that they can use They have others. different
1: grips, exactly. Okay. We don't. Okay.
3: So it's a slashing. What attracted you to Sabre over the other two? I didn't choose it.
1: You didn't choose it? I then. didn't choose it. I came to this club at the time, and once again, uh, back to that the story with uh, being recruited sort of at my school was that was the time that women's saber fencing was added to the Olympic program.
0: Right.
1: And so there were no girls doing saber fencing, really. While fencing was one of the original Olympic sports mm-hmm. of the modern Olympic Games, saber was considered very similar to boxing too violent. Because prior to having electric equipment to detect when a point was made, you had to hit really, really hard to show the ref that you actually hit. So it's considered too violent for women. Yeah. So it is no longer considered too violent for women, but that took a long time. So that was late 90s, 2000, late 90s. Right. So that was a, a big emphasis in Russia and many other countries on Sabre and getting girls to do Sabre. Okay. So that's how I started
3: so because it's a slash and you score from just the waist up, you have the metallic
1: right. vest over. Correct.
3: And that goes over. Is that part of your jacket or is it goes, goes over. over your jacket? Okay, so it's a It's a very thing.
1: light one, yeah. Okay. The actual jacket that protects you, mm-hmm. it's made of bulletproof material, mm-hmm. actually. That one is underneath, and then you just put the electric jacket, okay. as we call it. Okay. which one ha- The one that has your name on the back and everything.
3: Okay. And then when you fenced... I had totally forgotten about this, and we saw it last night, and, he, and uh, Ben said, oh yeah, you've got to ask her about the Kevlar mask, because that was the time, the period of time where, to make fencing more watchable, yeah, they wanted to see your face, so they took the standard fencing mask, which is a mesh, a right. wire mesh, a heavy wire mesh, and then cut part of it out so there was a... Plastic
1: yeah. portion over your eyes. So it looked like welders.
3: Yeah, yeah, it did. Oh <laughs> my
1: gosh. <laughs> Not my favorite. Um, but as with any being an athlete, with any kind of change that comes at you mm-hmm. that's beyond your control, mm-hmm. we never thought about it. That's the change. It is now the way it is. Get used to it. And that was it. So we just fenced with these masks. Um, the biggest uh, adjustment of it is that one, you're used to having your vision through a mesh. Mm-hmm. So just actually seeing clearly, believe it or not, is a huge adjustment. Yeah. And two, you have um, less air coming in because oh. through a mesh, yeah. So the first few matches, first kind of the adjustment period was that, the vision and, and heavier breathing, you have less oxygen coming in. Uh, but that's it. I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of um, target... There are very, very occasional, rare times when you would score directly on that tiny visor space. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare. Like, it didn't affect uh, our competitions to the point where people would be missing points because of that okay. visor. Do
3: you know why they they don't use it now? Uh,
1: they don't. I, I don't think it brought any attention to, additional attention to fencing. Uh, in terms of media. I'm not sure it was the best decision. So I'm not 100% sure why they went back to it. Now, actually, the masks have flags on them, which I really love.
3: Oh, right, so you can tell which country.
1: Which country, yeah. yeah, So you can kind of have a maple leaf printed on your Mm -hmm. your mask. It doesn't affect your vision. It doesn't affect you from looking inside of the mask out. But I like that on pictures, and I do like seeing that in competition.
3: Okay, so you have... The
1: jacket, the electric jacket, glove. You have a big glove on. Glove. Right? One. One, one glove.
3: glove. <laughs> Knickers. Yes. And then big, long socks. Socks. And special shoes.
1: Fencing shoes. Uh, we have chest protectors for oh, women. Oh, that's right.
3: That's right. Did you have a
1: um, the, the hard one? The yeah. Hard okay. Yeah. It's like uh, plastic boobs.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we have chest protector, and men have cups, especially in epi.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: or just an epi I guess because it's a full body target and um, you do have like a kind of what I would call a half jacket so if you're left handed you would put a half jacket under your uh, full jacket um, because you're as it's kind of a one sided sport the arm that you're fencing with is more vulnerable Mm -hmm. to heavier hits or Mm -hmm. touches in foil or epi so it's like an extra level of protection
3: and you are a lefty. Yes, you know, so that was... I am a lefty. So that is sometimes harder for other people to face. Oh, well, you wouldn't know the difference because you're a lefty. But... There's a
1: ridiculous amount of lefties in fencing. Really? Yeah, it, it's crazy. We have, it's very unproportionate to actually the larger population.
3: Okay.
1: And I would say a ridiculous number of lefties on the podium are world championships all the time. Huh. It okay. It's I don't know scientifically what's causing it, or sport wise, or I don't know why, but there are a lot of lefties. So it's actually not that uncommon. Or okay. The only tricky part for me was I was not comfortable fencing other lefties. Oh. Because I didn't have left handed sparring partners in our team, everybody was right handed.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that was a bit of a disadvantage for me just not having lefties. Whereas for my teammates, they were fencing me, a lefty. Um,
3: All right, so then in Sabre, one of the important things is to establish right of way because that determines who gets the point for that. What do you. It's not really around. Uh, For.
1: Yeah, for each each point. Yeah, for for each point. point.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay, so right of way is.
1: Oh my gosh! And it's just like the timing has changed since I stopped okay. competing, and keeps going back and forth. Um, it's a bit more. It's simple in epe. more simple in epee, where uh, you get a light, you get a point, mm-hmm. as a, the easiest way to describe it. Of course, there's a lot of nuances in foil and saber. There is right away, but essentially, there's um, the right of way is attack. If you, if one fencer is attacking and the other fencer is retreating in terms of footwork, mm-hmm. the person who is attacking has a right-of-way. So if they just finish their action and they get a point and the other person uh, who is retreating also extends their arm and gets a point at the same time or hits the target at the same time, it would be the right-of-way of the attacker. Okay. So if you decide to retreat there's a strategic reason why you decide to retreat. That you're confident that you can make your oppo- opponent fall short in their attack because you always have that distance game. You never want to give your opponent too much space so that you can, you know, by body movement or arm movement or whatever it may be, uh, indicate that you're closer than you are, make them fall short, and then it's your right of way. Okay. Or you block. Okay. Block using your saber. So if you block the attack and then... Uh, you, it's called reposte. You hit um, your opponent after that, but you need to make an action that will give you a right of way.
0: Okay.
1: So I don't know if the, it's it's not it's never easy to to explain saber fencing because there are so many nuances and there's a counter attack. So if your opponent hesitating a lot and if they pull their arm back or if they stop completely, if you hit them, you can get right of way this way because you would be hitting them before they finish their action, let's say. So there's a lot of...
3: You would get right-of-way, but then you'd have to hit them again to get the point, correct? Or no?
1: You only hit once.
3: Okay.
1: Right? So if you... Essentially, you hit once, and then the action stops. Okay. It's just hitting at the moment when you have right-of-way.
3: Wow. And so that...
1: That's what makes it so hard to watch.
3: Right. Yeah. It's very hard to... Learn what right of way it looks like
1: exactly even for a referee I would even say. for a referee, exactly, and okay. you even know that some refs judge differently than others too, mm-hmm. and the timing is so precise in in fencing, mm-hmm. you kind of don't want to waste any movement, you don't want to waste any tiny bit of space, um, so the actions become so quick right. that they 're hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunate it, that's the exciting part of the sport because it, that's what makes it so hard but it's, it's hard to understand for, for an average um, sports fan trying to watch fencing. out yeah
3: and if you double touch where you both touch at the same time for saber because right of way you have to know who has right of way to get the point, or how does that
1: work? Yeah, a lot of the time it's just a simultaneous action that um, a point is not granted to anybody. Okay. So they would say attack simultani, and then the athletes would go back in their positions. Okay. So you really have to win right away somehow. And sometimes in that middle action when it looks like it's just two athletes hitting at the same time, the refs would see somebody um, winning right away, mm-hmm. but it's always questionable. So you see a lot of kind of contests from the athletes and... Right,
3: right. Okay. What happens if you go off the back of
1: the strip? Point against you.
3: Point against you. Okay. There, that's why there's kind
1: of a warning line okay. too. So okay. you have to step both feet off uh, the back line. Okay. Or the side, but we never really go off the side. Maybe an epi sometimes. Okay.
3: Then... Uh, <laughs> so you you... You stand to face the other person mm-hmm. and you're in what the what I would call fencing position, which is kind yeah. sort of on guard. okay, on guard. That would be good. And then uh and you've got your your back foot is you're in kind of like a plie position with your back a little, foot yeah, facing. It's a good way to describe audience it and your front foot facing your opponent basically. Right. And and that like an elf. Yeah. So that gives you more kind of control of your movements in a sense and you're able to spring off that back foot to lunge easier or to attack.
1: Yeah so you want to kind of always have those bent, a bit like wrestling right so they're always in this like position where they are low their knees are bent they're ready they're agile kind of just um, a bit like Animal Kingdom too right (laughs) if you think about it kind of always ready to attack and in fencing we can't cross over so Because that would just be running. Okay. You can't cross the back foot over the front foot.
3: Okay.
1: Because then it becomes running. You can't just charge at your opponent like that. So um, that's why the rules of the footwork are you can cross the back foot over, sorry, the front foot over the back if you're going backwards at times. But you cannot run. You cannot start crossing over and running forward. So that's just the nature of the footwork. Okay. And then you make it as efficient as you can. Okay.
3: <laughs> so you face your opponent, and the, what does the referee say to you? Everything's, yeah.
1: in, French. Everything's in French. Yeah, yeah it's on garde, prêt, allez.
3: Okay, so uh, kind of ready, go. Ready, set, go. go. Okay.
1: And then. Did you,
3: did you, what, was what were some of the other questions I had? For oh, uh, and you play till 15? Yes, in the, the direct day, elimination. Okay, 15. And usually and before that, which uh, during the Olympics, you. We so didn't have now, a pool. Now you could see them because you can tune into anything you want. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes I'll have pools ahead of time with um, shorter, uh, fewer points.
1: Yeah, like at World Championships, for example, yeah. you'd have pools. So the groups are divided by ranking into uh, a pools of seven or eight, five, six, seven, eight athletes. And then you uh, fence to five. Okay. And then your indicator is added. So... You receive, obviously, five points if you win the match, and then if you lose 5-4, you get four points. 5-1, you get one point. And um, your number of victories and losses is counted, and that makes the final ranking.
3: Okay, for the direct elimination. For
1: the direct elimination. Okay.
3: And then uh, a a match lasts for... It's in three-minute segments,
1: It is technically for all three weapons in three-minute segments. Uh, In Saber, we never run out of even the first one Okay. uh, because of the nature of how fast the actions are. Uh, In Foil, it's a bit more fast-paced as well. In Epe, they rely heavily on the time. It's part of the strategy, part of the game often um, to use three three three-minute periods.
3: Okay, but is there like a—we were talking about the halftime in your— Beijing match.
1: So there's usually a break. Is it like a point break or eight
3: points? First into eight. As is and then one minute break. Okay.
1: And that was um, when I started fencing. It didn't exist. So they had implemented it after I started to have a halfway point. So it's a bit of a strategy, kind of touch base with your coach. You have one minute to talk to him or her. Okay.
3: Anything else we haven't talked about sport wise?
1: I mean that covers the basics of it. Okay. It's not easy to understand without really taking some time to see a few matches and mm-hmm. perhaps somebody guiding you through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely.
3: What do you love about it?
1: Um, well, I haven't. I have to reflect on it as a person who competed at the time. And you know, when I when I stopped competing, I was so bitter and so tired that I really didn't love anything about it. But the reason I competed for the amount of time that I did and. And the reason I went as far as I did in my sport is um, it's it, you're always improving on something and I feel like it's uh, you can apply that to any sport because it's so strategic uh, no match is the same, no opponent is the same, no experience is the same so you're always calculating, thinking, trying to figure it out doing strategy. If you're working in your attacks with your coach for a couple of weeks then next thing you know you have to work on something else so it's just like a constant work in progress and there's never a moment of like landing a perfect routine in figure skating you never have that moment you can win a world cup and still be like well you know I need to work on my attack. okay it's just a it's frustrating but it's fascinating at the same time if that makes sense
3: Thank you so much, Olya. In other parts of my interview, we talked about her Olympic journey and her career at the Canadian Olympic Committee and her master's degree in Olympic studies, which is something that actually exists. So we'll feature those segments on upcoming shows. I'm excited. She was so lovely. Yeah, she's getting a master's in Olympic studies. She's finishing it up. Okay, well, okay. We'll We'll talk about about it later. Yeah, I know, right? We'll talk about it later. It's an online program. That's all I'm going to say. Online program. (laughs)
2: Okay, so here was my two takeaways from your interview. Number one, she's left-handed, so I love her already.
3: Right. And you would love her anyway because she is so charming.
2: Yes. I mean, she sounds lovely, but I'm like, okay, she's saying how fabulous it is to be left-handed, which I love. Now, the second thing, yet again, the IOC concerned about my lady parts. (laughs) Concerned about, you know, ladies getting slashed
3: right? Do you have anything to say about saber and women?
4: Uh, well, so it's interesting because women could only fence foil in the Olympics for a very long time. And there were a bunch of different reasons why a lot of them, I think, were rooted in sort of that women as the more delicate of the species kind of notion. But as I understand it, and and I haven't been privy to the inner workings of the IOC or the FIE, but the story as it comes down is that one of the reasons why it took so long to get women's saber in the Olympics was because the rest of the world knew that the U.S. would dominate. Because the U.S. has been letting women fence all kinds of weapons, all three of the weapons, for a long time.
2: And, oh. You know,
4: fencing is one of those sports where certain countries feel a certain pride of ownership around it. And th- there was this notion that if we have women's saber, well, the Americans are going to dominate and we can't, you know, we just can't have that.
2: Interesting. And
4: if you look at what happened once women's saber was introduced for the first, I think, at least two Olympics, the U.S. dominated.
2: Well, that makes sense. If if women in the U.S. had been competing saber for longer than, women then they had a deeper team,
0: right? You know, yeah. they had a deeper mm-hmm. pool. It
2: wasn't people switching to saber; it was girls who had fought. Uh, what do you say? Do you fight saber? Is that Fence the terminology? Fend saber. You know, for years and years, so they were very comfortable competing it, right? Which makes sense.
4: Yeah, and 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 I think one of the things that is true about the US is that I think the US actually has a stronger tradition of women's sports than a lot of places and and That's true. You know, we don't we're not as hidebound by tradition and so when when women said we want to fence saber it was like okay, we can make that happen. I mean, even I I know some women who fence saber early on and they did face some resistance at at different points, but but I think we overcame it in the U.S. sooner than than other places, and and mm. our saber teams continue to be pretty strong. Other countries have certainly caught up, but you know, Mariel Zagunas, who was the first gold medalist in women's saber, in the United States, and she fenced and and did very well, and 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 recently she took some time off. She had a baby, and now she's back flying around the world and and fencing and getting on the podium all over the place. So so, see, la- so they Lady didn't Parts... need
2: to protect us Lady... from the
3: slashing saber.
4: Yeah, Lady Parts was probably a convenient excuse of we don't want to lose to the Americans in a sport that we right. think is ours.
3: And uh, I'll give oh. you a little tease for one of our upcoming Oleo segments. I asked her when she started fencing why she chose saber, and she said... I didn't choose Sabre. They chose it for me because we were building up the program in Russia. They had they knew it was just around the time they knew that it they was coming. that yeah, that, that Saber got approved and it would be in a few years in the Olympics, but they needed to build up the the pool. Now is Sabre the biggest
2: and heaviest? No. No. Okay.
4: No. Epe is the biggest and heaviest.
2: Okay. Because I like the idea of slashing.
4: It's I don't know. It's a fun... I fenced all three weapons, and it's a fun weapon defense. And and you can... You know, the others are just pokes, basically. You only score with the tip. See, that's... Um, you know,
2: give me a weapon that I can really wield.
4: If you want a swashbuckle, <laughs> then Saber's probably more the mm-hmm. one for you. It's, it's... I could I
2: could do an eye patch and a hook and a. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> why not? I mean, if I've got a swashbuckle, let's go whole hog.
4: As long as you don't I have, have a peg a... leg.
2: Well, you know what? If you give me yar, a weapon,
4: yeah, Allison's got weapons. yar.
2: yeah. This stand clear. That's all I'm going to say. Stand clear. Oh man.
4: There will be video of you fencing at some point, right?
2: Um. Well, we'll see. Uh,
4: I, I I will just say this: you signed up for this. It is not our fault if you find it addictive and continue with it.
2: I know. Yes. So for uh, the Olympic Fever Olympic Day challenge, mm-hmm. hashtag OFOD, yes. I, I will, I may be doing a little fencing.
3: Very possibly. cool. Very cool. Yes. Knock on wood. Knock on yes. wood. Yes.
2: And I think I will be also on a horse. <gasps> Ooh. How old hot.
4: spice of you?
2: <laughs> I know. It, it may actually end up being after
4: that's the fine. official
2: Olympic day, but that's okay. You know, that I works figure too. We were Woody? doing the whole month of June. Did you swim in the Olympic pool? Okay, Do we have pictures well, of swimming oh, in the Olympic pool? No,
3: there's no pictures of me swimming because I went by myself today. But oh, um, we have pictures right. of the pool. We have pictures of the pool. And but that's not OFOD. Why well, is it not OFOD? There's got to be a picture because of me. Because you're not in the pool. I can't believe this doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count. Because
2: how do I know that you really got in the pool? I'm not with you. I can't.
4: really oh, I guess we got to go back.
3: Yeah, I guess I got to go back. How Man, late is it I open want to it's open until like ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Geez. I take no reason?
4: responsibility if I go buy more Olympic souvenirs then. <laughs> okay, that's um, fair.
3: No, well the Olympic pool isn't the exact pool they just totally overhauled that whole area several years ago, but it is an amazing world-class facility. Excellent. All I'm going to leave it at that. And so it was Why does that make me happy? Oh, it should because it's legacy. It's it's Yeah. Montreal that makes has me happy. Um, what we'll also talk about in future episodes is Montreal's legacy is much more than the stadium that everyone talks about. Awesome. That makes me happy. Yes. The the swimming facility is just insanely beautiful and insanely nice to swim in. Good. So and how was the was it nice water? Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. Yes. It was so good and they don't have they don't have like the the like when you go to a regular pool there's that gutter thing. Yes. So there's no gutters, it's just there's like grates in the, the floor. So it's just floor level that the water spills into. So that provides less uh, friction in the water. The floor is movable in part of it. So today it was something like 1.2 meters at its shortest, And it will go down to two meters that they do for competitions and be flat. So that provides better quality water to swim in as well. And they they filter it a lot too. So Especially if thing. Ryan Lochte has been there. <laughs> but then they have a diving well. They have something like seven pools there. So nice. there's a big competition pool. There's a couple of training pools. There's a synchro pool. The diving well has springboards and platforms. And then it has the only indoor meter platform in north america cliff divers use it for training yes okay i'm frightened oh my gosh it was just we didn't see anybody doing the cliff diving training but we heard about it
2: oh man that's because they all tell you because they all died probably trying to (laughs) my god okay so did you pick up any trivia while you were here i do have
3: some trivia for you Okay. We'll so. see if
4: you've got trivia that I've got. Oh so, yeah. Well this so, is mine. So, so these are the things these are a couple of things that we learned and maybe you want to keep this for the other thing. But um, so when you look at the, the Olympic Stadium, there was one part of it that wasn't built before the games. Do you know what that part is?
2: Was that the roof?
4: Close. It was the tower
2: oh okay because i knew they had all the issues they used to have a retractable roof right. that didn't
3: work right
4: S- so so here's the second part of the the okay the, the trivia. so wait which... the
3: tower wasn't there no, no they the didn't tower, finish the... it in time
2: oh because the tower to me is so I- iconic of the right yep. wow
4: and so do you huh. know what's special about the roof on the olympic stadium
2: Well, originally it was retractable, but it's not anymore, right? They switched it to a permanent roof. Is that still true?
4: It's kind of a semi permanent roof. Do you remember what's special about the roof?
3: It's Kevlar.
4: No?
2: I have no idea.
4: So it's one of the few roofs in the world that is supported from above. It's supported by the tower. So when you look at the tower, the tower's at a 45 degree angle, and there's all these guy wires. Yeah. Those are there to support the roof.
2: Oh, that makes me nervous.
4: Oh, it's really neat.
2: It's very pretty and it does look really cool, but I need to learn more about engineering before you get me back in that stadium.
4: <laughs> so, in, in the upcoming episode, when we talk about it, we can talk about some of the engineering, but they did some really okay, unique and cool stuff in there. Yeah.
3: I mean, they're Canadians. The... Right, and and that gets into one of the things that helped make it so expensive is that it was the first of its kind
2: right? in a lot it's of areas. So
3: file that in your noggin. Which, which
2: leads me to my trivia question. Mm-hmm. When did Montreal p- finally pay off the Olympics, pay off the debt?
3: I think it was like 2006.
2: Yes, it was. 30 years
3: 30 years it took a long time to pay that which is sad
2: yeah but I'm glad to hear that it's still it's not a white elephant
3: no no not by any means
2: okay good that makes me happy then
3: my trivia question for you is in Montreal 1976 two IOC presidents were competitors who were they and I will give you bonus points if you know their sport and country
2: okay well well we know Tomas Mm -hmm. was there and was he sailing? No. He was oh, not wasn't he sail. a Oh, wasn't he a water person though? No. Like can oh. Okay, then I don't know what his sport for. Okay, now what would Oh, oh, the one before him. Oh shoot. Was it Jacques, Roga? Was Jacques the other Rogue? Jacques Rogue, yes. Okay, so T-Buck he... is
3: Jacques Rogue.
2: Okay, now he was water. Yes. Yeah, okay. Now what was T box sport? <gasps> Don't tell me. I can't think of it.
4: We've talked about it.
3: I know. Today. Oh, was fencing? Yes, he was a fencer. Oh. He fenced foil for I know for we've... West Germany.
2: Yeah, I knew we had talked about it before. So but it, I mean, him... we had talked
3: about him fencing
4: before. Does that make him the only uh the only IOC president who represents a country that no longer exists?
3: Maybe.
2: I don't know. Well, we talked about that when we were talking about Paris 1924, how all those countries still existed. Yeah. But yeah, all the, you know, that's, you know, the, the 50s and 60s and 70s, you have all those Eastern Bloc countries that have all reconfigured. So all those men and women athletes of those generation are all uh, swimming around, you know, in these in these new reformed countries. So yeah, that's interesting. Is, it, is he the only one who competed for a country that no longer exists?
3: Huh. I don't know. We'll find out. Jacques we'll have is from, to go back. Uh, he's from Belgium. Oh. Well, I mean, that is what we've got on tap for today. Wanted to remind everybody, OFOD, Olympic Fever, Olympic Day coming up. You can be like listener Beth tweeted us a picture of her boxing, which was pretty which was awesome. Great. Love that. Was that. Great. So we want to keep seeing what you're working on. Um, and then And did you see uh, our our unofficial mascot Theodore, Theodore Yes, was, doing, was gymnastics. Superfan,
2: Sarah's, <laughs> doing gymnastics Was doing gymnastics on the beam I don't know quite how she got the dog Up on the beam and he stayed I'm like, oh man, this is This is one well disciplined pup Right
3: So that was pretty awesome So yeah, we want to keep seeing your your pictures And your stories of what you're doing For Olympic Fever, Olympic Day Hashtag OFOD and that goes through the end of the month for us because we need time. We do need time. And then uh, don't forget, we have our book club going on. We're reading The Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown about the men's 1936, the US men's 1936 Olympic rowing team. So we've both got our copies now. Yes, we do. We're digging into them. So it's a pretty good read so far. And we'll be talking about that. And uh, you've got a, a good another month and a couple weeks, I would say, probably about six weeks or so to work yeah, on first that. We said first week, first week, in, week August. in August. Yes, so yeah. hop Hit on the that. beach with your book. That's right. I think that's it for today, for this week's yeah. show, right? So well, thank you, Ben. Merci beaucoup for coming on the show. De rien. <laughs> thank you, as always, Allison.
2: Anytime. Uh, we've, ex- <laughs> we've exhausted my French. <laughs> <laughs> and, <Mine too. laughs>
3: and thank you so much for listening. And we
0: will catch you back here next week. And keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olymp Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.
2: Yet again, the IOC concerned about my lady parts.